You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. The helper or the comforter, his name is called the paracletus, one who comes alongside in the Greek, one who comes alongside and helps. The para is the with that we're talking about, that the Holy Spirit is already dwelling around a person, alongside each person. This is the relationship that every living person has who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is a relationship that we still have with Jesus Christ, even though you might have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. One of the best cures for being alone is being with another person. Today, Pastor Dave talks about the Holy Spirit being with us and around us. God promises that when we receive Him, we receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you make decisions through Christ and comfort you in times of distress. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 1 as he begins his message, Promise of the Father. Today is an exciting day for me. We're going to be continuing in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to be continuing in chapter 1, and we're going to be in verses 4 and 5. So if you're going to please open your words, your Bibles to the book of Acts. Having trouble finding it. Again, I like to say, take a left at John and a right at the book of Romans, and Acts is sandwiched right in the middle of it. So you'll be able to find that. Acts 1. Verses 4 and 5, please read along silently as I read aloud. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. When you think of the disciples, even as well as the apostles like Paul, the early people of the church, you tend to see them as superhuman, supermen, if you will. You look at them and go, oh, I could never do that. Oh, my gosh. They appear larger than life. And when you imagine these people, you think of saintly figures etched in stained glass. And you think of people that somehow were different from the rank and file of normal humanity. But when you closely examine the Scriptures... In them is revealed the fact that these were just ordinary group of people who were subject to the same weaknesses, who were subject to the same shortcomings that we all experience. They were just regular guys and regular gals. In fact, it appears that Jesus went out of his way to find a group of followers who had little claim to greatness apart from their willingness to believe and obey When I look back on the early church, I see a group of ordinary guys, a group of ordinary men and a group of ordinary women with one thing in common. They loved Jesus Christ. That was the one thing that bound them together. This group has been portrayed as not being very intelligent, not having much learning or schooling, if you will, a group that didn't have much to offer. Let's face it. 
If today you were going to pick a handful of men to change the world, would you pick these guys? So let's imagine for a minute that you are working for this management consultant firm. Let's even give it a name. It's the Jordan Management Consultant Group of Jerusalem. You're working for them. And Jesus walks in and says, I'm looking for 12 good men. Here are their resumes. See what you can do. They're outside waiting for you. And he leaves. You write Jesus a letter of your findings. It might read like this. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you are considering for management positions in your new organization. All of them have taken our battery of tests, the results of which we ran through a sophisticated computer and had an analysis done. We've also arranged personal interviews for each candidate with our psychologist and a vocational aptitude consultant. It is our staff's unanimous opinion that most of these nominees are lacking in qualifications for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. We recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience, of managerial ability, and proven capability. Furthermore, we find that Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. He seems far too impulsive to be put into a position of oversight. His brother Andrew has absolutely no qualities for leadership. The brothers James and John, they place personal interests above company loyalty, and they seem to be impatient with others. Due to this impatience and ambition, they could become disgruntled employees. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that could tend to undermine morale. And we feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. In closing, one of the candidates shows great potential. He is a man of ability, resourcefulness, and ambition. We recommend that Judas Iscariot as your controller and your right-hand man. All other profiles are self-explanatory. Sincerely yours, the Jordan Management Consultants of Jerusalem. Seriously, the Lord sees things a little differently than we do. The Lord takes things and sees them as they are, not as they were or should be or could be. He knows what's going to happen in the lives. The Lord is looking for those who are focused on Him. This is the main qualification. He's using men and women, ordinary men and women, that looked as if they don't amount to much. They're not going to amount to that much. He looks at them and goes, well, you're just the person I need. He's looking for people who are focused upon him and ready and trusting in him. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 9, we read this very, very famous quote. It says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So he's looking. And you know what? He's still looking today. He's looking for that heart that he can use. He's looking for someone who is focused on him, ready and willing to allow him to come and permeate their hearts and lift them up and raise them into a position where they can serve him. God calls ordinary men and he calls ordinary women and uses them in extraordinary ways. So the question for the day is, how did these individuals turn the world upside down? And even a better question is, how can we be this kind of church? That's the question that we're going to explore today. Today I want to look at the promise of the Father, and that's basically the message today, and that's the name of the message, the promise of the Father. We mentioned that Jesus was the focus of the early church, and it was a distinctive, if you will. So the one thing that these men and women did was they believed and they focused on Jesus. They believed that Jesus was indeed the Son of God, 
They believed that Jesus was God himself. As we said last week, they believed in the reality of the resurrection. They had seen Jesus alive. They touched him. They heard him speak. They saw him with their own eyes, and they believed. And Luke said that they were given many infallible proofs by Jesus himself. In our text today, we find the disciples and Jesus assembled together in verse 4. You know, Jesus is always the teacher, always teaching. Every moment he spent teaching and guiding his disciples, preparing them for what was to come. Remember, we said that during the 40 days that he roamed the earth after his resurrection, he was opening the minds of the disciples, helping them to understand the Old Testament message about himself. Can't you just now imagine the disciples sitting around maybe a little fire, listening to Jesus, and every single one of them is leaning forward. I mean, he has their attention. They're all leaning in there, listening. They don't want to miss a single word that he says. They don't want to misinterpret anything that he might be saying to them. They're hanging, if you will, on every single word that he says, and they're all sitting there listening. So Jesus is speaking to them, and he says, wait for the promise of the Father, the promise you have heard from me. This must have been an awesome conversation. Again, I can see the disciples when he said that. Look at each other like, we never heard this. What is he talking about? You know And then he continues, he says, For John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Again, imagine what the disciples were thinking. What was this baptism he was talking about? Some probably thought, well, he's going to carry us back down to the Jordan and redunk us. We're going to get baptized again. Maybe that's what he's talking about. And then somebody said, wow, if he does that and we come out of the water, are we going to hear a voice of heaven? Remember when he was baptized and came out of the water, there was a voice from heaven. Oh, that'll be cool. I can't wait for that. But that wasn't what Jesus was talking about. What was he talking about? What was the promise of the Father? What was the promise of the Father? This promise that he's referring to is no doubt the promise of Joel. In Joel 2, verses 28 and 29, where the Lord had promised this, and it shall come to pass in the latter days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your men shall dream dreams, your old men shall see visions, And upon all my servants and my handmaidens, I shall pour out my spirit, says the Lord. Certainly this verse was speaking of the promise of the Father. The day that was going to come when God would pour out his spirit upon all flesh, on all believers. And they will, each one of them, receive a dynamic power from God. This is certainly not the first time that Jesus had mentioned the Holy Spirit. Nor the promise of the Father. But this was a direct command from the Master. Wait. Wait, he said, until the promise gets there. But there's a slight problem here with this verse, especially when you compare it to John 20, verse 22. Take a moment in your book of Acts, go left to the book of John, just a few pages, go to John 20. Go to John chapter 20, specifically verse 22. We need to look at this for a minute and see what's being said here. In John 20, verse 22, it says, Then he, Jesus, said to them, He breathed on them, and then he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, many people believe that this was purely symbolic, a symbolic act rather than an actual doling out of the Holy Spirit. Others believe that this could be seen as the event when the disciples actually received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, when they became born again. When you look at this, And then you connect it all the way back to Genesis in chapter 2, verse 7, which says, the Lord Jehovah Elohim 
breathed on Adam's nostril the breath of life so that he became a living soul. The word here means to breathe with force. Compare that now as the risen Savior breathes on the apostles that they might receive the Holy Spirit. I see this passage in John 20, 22 as the place where the apostles came born again. I see it when they received the Holy Spirit and the church itself was born, the bride of Christ became alive. At this time is when the Holy Spirit was given out in order to establish spiritual life again, regeneration, if you will. I believe that there are three different relationships that Christian can have with the Holy Spirit. Again, looking in John, specifically in John 14. In John 14, there are two verses that we need to reconcile again. Two verses where there are words in there that we need to look at. In John 14, verses 15 and 17, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide in you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. In these verses, Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit. He said that they knew the Spirit and that the Spirit was dwelling with them and He, the Spirit, would soon be in them. Now we have to study a little grammar here. We have to study a little grammar here in the Greek. For the word with in that verse is para, P-A-R-A, para, and it means to come alongside. In fact, the helper or the comforter, his name is called the parakletus, one who comes alongside in the Greek, one who comes alongside and helps. The para is the with that we're talking about, that the Holy Spirit is already dwelling around the person, alongside each person. This is the relationship that every living person has who has not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. This is a relationship that we still have with Jesus Christ, even though you might have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Holy Spirit is around you. In John 16, verses 8 to 11, we read about the work that goes on by the Holy Spirit of God, who works in the hearts of men and women around the world. He, the Spirit, convicts the world of sin, convicts the world of righteousness, and convicts the world of judgment to come. That's what the Holy Spirit does when he's with us. He is the one that brings conviction to a man's soul, the one who needles the conscience and the one that stirs the heart. However, he does this work beside or outside the person, not from residing within. That's the first experience. We have the with experience. The Holy Spirit is with you. Then we have this second experience, which Jesus mentions in John 14, 17. He said the Holy Spirit will be in you. And the word in the Greek here is en, E-N. It means inside of, and it's where we get our English word in, I-N. This word speaks of the position of the indwelling Spirit of God that will occupy in every born-again believer's life. The Holy Spirit in you. At that born-again experience, when you accept Christ into your life and receive Him as Savior, the Holy Spirit then indwells you and comes into your life. After the Spirit has convicted a person and brought him into a place of repentance, He will take up residence in that person's heart. But the Spirit will never force His way into your life. He will gently convince the person, gently woo the person into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He doesn't forcefully come. He doesn't forcibly take control of your life. You have to willingly invite Jesus into your life and willingly give your life to him. 
When a person does yield his life and heart to Jesus, it is the Spirit of God who enters the person's life and the work of regeneration begins. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is conforming us to the image of Jesus Christ. That's scriptural. That's one of the things that he does. And he does that from the inside out. So he has to be in our heart in order for that to accomplish. This is the experience that John was describing in chapter 20, verse 22, when Jesus breathed on the apostles, disciples, and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received it, and the Holy Spirit came inside. They were born again, and regeneration started. Regeneration started when the born-again experience. The Spirit took up residence in their lives of these men for the first time in history. But there is a third experience with the Holy Spirit. Another experience of the Holy Spirit that can be found, and this is found in verse 5, and again it's found in verse 8 of the same chapter of Acts. In verse 5, Jesus says to his disciples, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The third relationship has become known as three different things. You can call it three different things. Baptism with the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Spirit, or being filled with the Spirit. You can call it anything you want. What you call it is not a problem. Not important what you call it. However, what is important is that we experience this particular relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what's important. I'll repeat that. It doesn't matter what you call it. You can call it baptism, you can call it with, you can call it of, or you can call it being filled with the Spirit. It doesn't matter. It matters, though, is that we have this experience with God. And I'll point that out why in a little bit. When we jump ahead to Acts 1.8, we read Jesus saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The two words we have to look at here, the first one is upon and in the Greek, it is epi, E-P-I. And this actually means coming upon with power, coming upon the person. It's a different and separate experience. Coming upon the person with the power. Jesus clearly said, wait, until you are baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in a couple of verses later, he says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believer that they are enabled with the power of God to do the work of any ministry that they might call. And what does the Holy Spirit want us to do? And if you continue on in verse 8, you'll find out. The Holy Spirit says, you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for one main purpose, and one main purpose only, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in the lost world. And if you notice what happens after that, in chapter 2 of Acts, when the Pentecost happens, when the Holy Spirit falls on the disciples, they become these incredible witnesses. Their lives are changed completely. Peter steps out in boldness and gives this wonderful, huge sermon the first day, and 3,000 people are saved. And the church of Christ is born and built by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they walk forward in oneness. They walk forward in one accord, and people after people after people are being saved. Why? Because the Spirit is witnessing of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ clearly said that if I be lifted up, Jesus Christ, I will draw all men to me. The Holy Spirit comes to testify of Jesus Christ, it says in John 16. He, Jesus said, will testify of me. So if somebody's proclaiming the Holy Spirit and they are not testifying Jesus Christ, you need to check what spirit they're claiming. 
If it's not witnessing of Jesus Christ, it's of the wrong spirit. It needs to be witnessing of Jesus Christ and his love. This baptism that Jesus refers to is what was found here in chapter 5. This enabling us for the work of the ministry. Enabling us that we would be witnesses of Jesus Christ to a lost world. And witnessing is not evangelizing. Witnessing is not necessarily evangelizing. You can be a witness and not an evangelist. Think about that. Your life can be witnessing to somebody the love of Jesus Christ, the testimony of Jesus Christ in their lives. Their heart is changed. Their heart is weakened and surrounded by the Holy Spirit. They are convicted. And then an evangelist comes along and boom, they're saved. You don't have to do the same thing. You've been given the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of him. If the Lord gives you the gift of evangelism, praise God. Praise God. But so many times what we want to do is we want to take the Bible with us and say, come here, i got something for you. Grab him by the hand and go, accept the Lord. We're to be witnesses of God's love. We're to be witnesses of his love in us. Our lives demonstrate that witness on a constant basis. And you cannot do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot be witnesses of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. You cannot do this. Let's continue. The second word we want to look at is the word dunamis in the Greek. It means power. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you with power. And this word is dunamis. And it means an explosive power or a miraculous special power that's going to come upon you. This word is from the root word dunamai, which means to be able to or to be possible. In other words, without this power, it's impossible to be a witness for Jesus Christ. That's what this is saying. If you don't have this power of the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to be the witness that Christ wants you to be. This dunamis that we're talking about means this explosive power, and it's the word that we get the, our word dynamite from. Or dynamo. He's a real dynamo. It's also used in Acts 10, verse 38. In Acts 10, verse 38, it said, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Dunamis. The dunamis power. This is no ordinary power. It's an enabling power. An enabling power. The Holy Spirit enables us to be witnesses for Jesus. He enables us to be servants of the Most High God. He enables us to turn the hearts of others towards him through our witness. And you notice I've never said through our words once. Sometimes the most important witness that you have is the life you live in front of people. I don't know how many times I use St. Augustine's wonderful, wonderful quote, but he said, I spent 40 years witnessing the love of Jesus Christ to other people, and sometimes I opened my mouth. It's your life that speaks volumes to people. Paul says your lives are epistles written on the heart of men. They look at your life, they go, man, I knew that guy when he was crazy. Now he's crazy for Jesus. Something different. And they see that. And they're drawn to that because Jesus is being exemplified. Jesus is being glorified in your life. And you're raising Jesus Christ up. And what did I say? If Christ be lifted up, he will draw men to him. All men, the scripture says. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, 
they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Show.